0: Welcome to the Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in scripture. Well, welcome back to the Bears Institute podcast. My name is Kevin McCollum. I have the privilege of serving on staff with Bears, and I'm excited about our conversation today. We're going to be talking about the doctrine of God, and I have uh, Daniel Bray on the phone. Daniel, so great to have you.
1: Yeah, happy to be here,
0: Kevin. Daniel serves as our campus director at Mississippi State University in the great city of Starkville, Mississippi, and looking forward to seeing what Daniel has to teach us today. Daniel uh, spoke recently to our students about this topic, and so over the next half an hour or so, we're excited to just discuss this concept of the doctrine of God and why it's important. So first of all, Daniel, before we dive into our topic, tell everybody about yourself. You're a new member of the Light Bear staff, recently relocated to Starkville. Tell us how you got to Starkville, Mississippi, and, and what you're excited about there.
1: Well, Starkville's kind of been a second home for us uh, already. I graduated from Mississippi State in 2009 uh, with an undergraduate degree in engineering. And then after that, went and got a master's degree in theology. And then we served overseas in East Asia for four years as missionaries. And then uh, re- most recently, last two years, we've been in Missouri working with uh, discipleship among college students. And uh, found out a lot about light bearers uh, during that time. And uh, just really, it's just been in the last year, even we started having the conversation of what it would look like to come back to Sartville and uh, be involved with the work that's going on there and just being part of providing some long term leadership there. So uh, we're doing what we love, uh, just caring for young adults in an important stage of life and trying to just give them. A strong biblical foundation, just learning their role in the church and just what God can do in their life. So, yeah, my wife and I, Amanda and I, were loving being here. Our boys are loving being here. Uh, and it's just great being a part of the Start Wolf community, being a part of Mississippi
0: State. Well, we're excited you're there too. You know, you and I have talked about this at some length, but just how great it was to see you and Amanda and your, you being the answer to a long term prayer of our staff and really several people in the Starkville community that have been excited to see light bears come down there and serve the local churches and in discipling the college students around town and your fit, your demographic, you know, all the things you mentioned and just your heart and passion for the word of God and your love for the local church just was such a great fit. And, and so it's been encouraging to see, and in, in the backstory of how many things have happened that line up this opportunity to go and, join arms with people in the community there for the gospel in Starkville, Mississippi. Just give us a great confidence that, you know, we're right where the Lord would have us and and that there's a great future for you there as, um, as you dive into that. So grateful for you. So when one of the things that you're doing that we do in other campus is a weekly institute class. So standing in front of students, helping them think through big concepts. We do a year of theology and a year of Old New Testament survey. So you entered into our year of theology and you just have taken that and put the study in. And one of the last topics that you addressed was this idea of the doctrine of God. And really, the doctrine of God ought to be something you might think that Christians would be able to define really quickly. You know, who is God? But we find sometimes that the answer to who is God is not as easy as we might think. Why do you think it's difficult sometimes to answer the question, who is God?
1: I think the reason it's a difficult question primarily, is that the Bible nowhere attempts to prove or argue for the existence of God. I mean, we open to the first page of the Bible, and uh, God is just there. But the important thing to to read in that is that He's not silent. He's a God who speaks. He's a God who interacts. And this is uh, the Christian God that we see is one who cares for His creation, directs His people, and then for us is then how do we live before this God? What's he like? What does he expect from us?
0: Yeah, I think in our Western mindset, we expect to see some progression. Start with my point of skepticism and prove yourself to be real, and then teach me more about you. But God just as you pointed out really well, the beginning of the book here, God exists. God doesn't have to explain himself to man and sort of condescend to the point to say, Let me prove to you. That I exist when I am actually the creator. You know, and our response to Him isn't one of skepticism. Our response is supposed to be one of followership and, and love. And and so, but God did reveal Himself through different means. We'll we'll talk about that I think a little bit in a minute. But as you were highlighting some big traits of God, big ideas about God, you had a few passages that you spent the most time on. One of them is in Romans eleven. Romans eleven thirty three says. Oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Why did you pick that passage? And what do you think that says about God that's important for us to understand?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that verse in Romans 11 goes along with other verses that just show us how unapproachable God is, how unsearchable he is, how wondrous he is, how beyond us he is. And I mean, here in, in Romans, it says he's, his judgments are unsearchable, his ways are untraceable. So, how are we expected to talk about a God who's incomparably great, absolutely sovereign, in control, His way goes, He's radically other than everything that exists outside of Himself. So, do we just stop there and say, we can never know anything about God? I mean, that's been the case uh, historically. There's been a trend towards a mystical theology, which says we can never really, we can't really know anything about God. We just have to kind of have a feeling about it. And then there's also the the other end of that spectrum is natural theology that says like we start with nature and we start with things and say like, this is how we learn about God is by examining creation and um, the order of the world. But I think really orthodox belief is somewhere in the middle where God has revealed himself, but he also expects us to reason through His word and reason from creation to see what he's truly about. Uh, I think the the clearest example of that is in Romans chapter 1, where Paul says that, you know, God has revealed himself in nature to an extent that people are without excuse when it comes to knowing whether there's there's a God or there's not a God. But that general revelation that's given through creation isn't sufficient for us to know what God expects of us. It doesn't tell us about ourselves. And so we need a, a special revelation. We need God to speak. We need him to make himself
0: known. What are some things that God has given us, or what are some ways that God has revealed himself that would be in that category that are unique, that special revelation?
1: Yeah, I think a good bridge passage is actually Paul in Athens in Acts chapter 17, where he's looking around at all of their idols and altars that they have. And he says, I see you've got this one to an unknown God. And so, that's kind of the general revelation of like, you know that there is this God that maybe you don't understand or know. But he says, I'm going to tell you who this God is. And so, he proceeds to uh, walk through things that God has done in the past. So, like direct action that God has taken. I talk about direct action and indirect action. So, if you talk about the direct action of God, we can say, like, when God speaks to people audibly, or uh, the greatest example, uh, many theologians would say, is the Exodus from Egypt, uh, where he reveals himself to the Egyptians, all these plagues happen. The Red Sea is parted. And it says that all of this was done so that people would know that there is a God in Israel, like that He is the Lord of Lords, so that He's this most high God. Uh, so we have lots of examples of direct action throughout the Old Testament. But then in the New Testament, the most important direct action that we have is from John chapter one, talking about Jesus and incarnation, that the Word became flesh. You know, the spiritual God, this unsearchable, unknowable, unreachable, beyondness God, he has broken through into his creation, and he has asserted himself in a real tangible way that we can see and feel and touch, and that speaks to us. And so, I mean, those are the most direct action that, that God has taken, but also indirect action, then, is we have the Bible. We have uh, the law, the writings, the prophets that make up the Old Testament. And how they have disclosed the, the covenant, the promises that God makes with his people, uh, and how they work. And I think John twenty thirty one gives us the, the biggest example of what these writings are for, the Old Testament and the New Testament. John gives us the purpose of his gospel. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we don't need God to speak to us from the heavens because he has spoken. He has done these things. He has worked. And uh, these things have been written so that we can believe in Jesus and that by believing, we can have life in his name.
0: Yes. So then the purpose of his direct and indirect action are the same. That's right. Salvation. That's right. And so really taking this idea of general revelation, special revelation, you talked about direct action, indirect action. Theologically, it paints this great picture that we have a God who initiates revelation of himself. He wants to be known by us. And he's taken the action to do that. He initiated it, even in creating the first time. You know, we've talked about this in a recent talk we did through biblical theology, but there's no sense that God created the world for any other purpose other than to put himself on display because he is a creator. And so he revealed himself to Adam and Eve. He's revealed himself throughout the ages, and that's always come at his initiative. And what a gracious thing this God has done to tell us the truth about himself, a good, faithful, kind, just God. And his actions continue just to put himself on display, a concept that I think is also sometimes difficult to explain. And people have tried with little cute illustrations, but this idea of the Trinity, And as you said, the Bible doesn't have a, who is God, dot, 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 here's your answer. It also doesn't tell us the definition of what the Trinity is. So let's spend a a little bit of time talking about the Trinity. What is the Trinity? Who is the Trinity? And just talk about the concept of the Trinity. Yeah, I think
1: um, we have to start. It seems like an awkward place to start. Like, why are we going to talk about? Trinity when uh, the word Trinity doesn't even appear in our Bible. But you you cannot talk about God's history of salvation without talking about how he has revealed himself in that history. And he's revealed himself as the Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit, even from the very beginning. You know, Genesis 1-2 uh, talks about the, the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the waters and you know he speaks; that he's breaking through into that creation, interacting with that creation, like the uh, like the sun interacts with creation. Uh, there, there's an element of uh, Trinity even even then, uh, all throughout the prophets, uh, Isaiah, and, and others. Uh, even even strange little appearances, like in Genesis 18, where there's these three men that appear to Abraham. They speak kind of with the singular purpose and voice, and and so and then Abraham like worships worships these men in in a singular fashion there's some mystery there uh, with that and different references the spirit of the Lord who comes on people interacts with people God uh, appears this angel of the Lord uh, so we see God interacting um, in diverse ways but very intentional ways throughout the Bible in the Old Testament but then in the New Testament the Trinity just leaps off the pages uh, of the New Testament in Matthew 3. Jesus' baptism, you see Jesus, you hear a voice from heaven, and then the Spirit descends on him uh, like a dove. Within the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says that people are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then even within the the apostles, you have Paul speaking in in 2 Corinthians, how he prays, saying at the end, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the Trinity may not be explained in the New Testament, but it's everywhere assumed as the basis for Christian life, Christian liturgy, and even Christian ethics. We make decisions based on the interaction of, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit.
0: Let's talk about each person of the Trinity. We we use this phrase that one God, three persons. So three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So let's start with God the Father. and. Take us inside sort of the theological understanding of who God the Father is and maybe some ways he was addressed even throughout history.
1: Well, I mean, we said at the beginning, it's very clear from the very beginning that God is just there, but he is a God who interacts. He is a God who interacts with creation. He's personal God. He wants to, to be known. And one of the biggest ways that he's known is by how he talks about himself and uh, how others talk about him. Uh, so, just a, a, there's a general name for God that's repeated all throughout scripture, Elohim, meaning the most high God. He's over lesser gods. And often this is shortened to just El, which just means the strong, the mighty one. El Shaddai is, is a great one. It just means like the almighty God, all sufficient God. This is the one who nourishes and sustains. You know, he's just this bottomless well. Uh, a provision for people. Uh, El Roy is, is one that's um, Hagar and Ishmael. They're they're fleeing. They don't know what they're going to do. But uh, uh, Hagar, in, in, in speaking to uh, the angel and God, she she prays. She says, you are El Roy. You're the God who sees me. You're the God who sees me, uh, even in my isolation. You're the God who sees my needs. He's called the everlasting God. And then the most amazing thing comes in Exodus when God is speaking to Moses through the burning bush. And Moses is saying, well, h- how am I supposed to talk about you? How am I going to tell people what my mission is? And uh, he says, you're going you're gonna to tell them that I am sends you. You know, I am who, who I am, this uh, uh, word of Yahweh, which is a personal, proper name for God. It's, it's used over 6,000 times in the Bible. Uh, and there's so much significance that, that comes into this, just e- this idea of existence. You know, I'm the one that exists. I'm the one who always has been. I'm the one who always will be. I am, you know, real reality. I'm, I'm what it's all about. And then this uh, gets tacked on to all kinds of different names to talk about Joshua. Joshua's name, which is actually like Jesus's name, means Yahweh is salvation. And I, I just love that truth. I turn to that truth all the time, saying, when we call on the name of Jesus, we're saying we need God to save us, that we don't have the means within ourselves. that it's all ultimately God saving us. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel in the Old Testament. People who just uh, say they rely only on God for salvation and only on God to take care of them. But He is a God who, who speaks, He promises, He acts, He keeps all these promises, uh, and he's a God that only responds to God. This is worship. That's why I love that Psalms that are at the center of our Bible. It's just all about the worship of God. In Psalms, we see all of our doubts and fears and worries and anger. They're all acknowledged by a God who knows us, sees
0: us, and shelters us. Yeah, one key example of that is you're talking when Moses has died and it's time for Joshua to take this really weighty role on, uh, a role that he had never played. Really, they had known no other leader for 400 years other than Moses himself. And Joshua is now taking this mantle. Joshua 1 uses that word Yahweh, or really the, the Joshua version that says, God is our salvation, Yahweh is our salvation. When it says, the Lord said to Joshua, and he begins to give him this Great Commission. We're supposed to see, I think, the intimacy that God has with his people and that comforting nature that Joshua would have felt, understanding that my salvation is speaking to me and calling me to follow him. And I think that's uh, just a great reminder, even in the Old Testament, of just the ever-present nature of God and his desire to dwell among, you know, holy people. Mm, Absolutely. So that's God the Father. What about God the Son? What, what are some things you highlighted and why, and why did you do that about God the Son?
1: Well, if we look at the Old Testament, every single book in the Old Testament just has almost this to be continued at the end. It, it keeps us looking for fulfillment. We, we see in God and His name and who He says He is that He's a promise-keeping God, that He's doing something, that, but we're not real clear on that. We've seen some shadows uh, of what He's doing. But then in the Gospels, at the beginning of the New Testament, we see uh, the promise of Jesus, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. And we see that our our problem all along was we need a bridge back to a a real relationship with God, you know, the relationship that we had in the garden, a face-to-face relationship with our Creator. That's what our purpose is. That's what we're supposed to, uh, how we're supposed to exist. But how do we get back to that? We need someone to bridge that gap for us, and God does that by by sending His Son, by breaking through into creation to be Emmanuel, to be God with us, to to be Jesus, to to be Yahweh's salvation among our people. And Jesus in His ministry, many people say, "Well, Jesus never really says He's God, right?" Um, but you can just look at His His ministry and the the life that He lives; that He he does and says things that can only be attributed to the God of Israel. Not just a generic deity, but the, the God of the Old Testament, the God of these people. Uh, like in Mark 2, he, he forgives sins and people are like... Who can do this but God? And that's the point. He's like, of course, you know, only, only God can forgive sins. I'm God. He teaches with authority that surpasses Moses and the prophets, especially throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he'll say, you've heard it said, or Moses says, but I tell you. And, and for people listening that day, that was just, uh, that was extreme. You know, that was borderline heresy, blasphemy, right? That he would uh, say that he has something to add to Moses, that he has something to add to the Bible, but he he's not adding to it. He's showing that a deeper truth. He's showing that he has the authority to speak the word of God. Uh, Luke 11 talks about exorcisms, casting out demons, and it says that he does it by the finger of God. Uh, these things that he does, it just, it, it can't be anything but God at work among these people in Jesus. And if we believe in Jesus's life and his ministry, then we must also believe in the God of the Old Testament. In every way, he's trying to show us, even in our minds and our knowledge of God, that he is the bridge, that continuation, that he's, he's doing something new that's been promised. Maybe something that wasn't clearly understood yet, but here it is. He's trying to, to do something. But man, just the, the promise of Jesus being God with us, this is closer than we, we've been to God since the garden. You know that we're able to to stand in front of him and and people people who have eyes to see and ears to hear they they recognize that they they love his words they eat it up they don't always understand it but they're they're following him I think about you know the words of Peter uh, lots of people start leaving Jesus uh, when he starts talking about well you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're really going to follow me. And people start leaving because he's kind of gotten out of line there. Uh, they don't understand what he's talking about. And then he turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. And that's the, in our hearts. We got to see that too, that Jesus is, is where we turn to when we want to understand how salvation
0: works. How do we get it? How do we get right before this holy God? And then as Jesus forms his church, we see another member of the Trinity at this point actually being more on display, and not that this is the first time the Holy Spirit has played a role in, in revealing God to men, but talk about the Holy Spirit. I think out of the three persons of the Trinity, maybe the Holy Spirit is the most confusing for people, and there's several reasons we could talk about that, but maybe just get to what's the role of the Holy Spirit uh, as you have um, studied this. Yeah,
1: he's talked about, you know, we've seen even in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on people. That seems like it would be a bad thing, right? You know, how extreme things got in uh, the Exodus, where uh, we have an entire book, Leviticus, that tells us how we should live just in light of the fact that the glory of God is uh, in the midst of the people, uh, but for the Spirit of God to be poured out on all flesh, and that, that just seems terrifying if you think about it that way. Uh, but it's only through the work of Jesus that, that makes um, a way, in the same way that you know Moses, they have to go through all this work, preparing the tabernacle, setting up all these laws for, for cleanliness and what's clean and unclean. It's, something has to happen to, to change the way things are so that the Spirit of God is pleased to dwell among us. And so praise God for Jesus and the work that he does, his sacrifice on the cross, um, the work that's accomplished through him. It makes us able to be loved by God in this way, and in such a way that you know, the Spirit of God is pleased to dwell among His people, that we now participate, in a way, in the Trinity. It's, it's so much more than just us standing in face-to-face with God, that, that He's, He's with us and He's a part of us. Uh, Jesus even says that the Spirit is the regenerator of believers, that helps us be born again. He's the one that does this work of, of helping make us new. And He's also, he, he, it's at the beginning, but it's all through our life as well. He's the one who sanctifies us and helps to make us more like Christ. In John 14 through 16, there's so much that's talked about the Father and the Son giving and sending the Spirit. The word that's used there is translated as a comforter, counselor, advocate, helper. We need that. We need the Spirit to be our, our comforter and our counselor between us and God. But it also says how the Spirit is going to testify about the Son. He's going to uh, you know, help us to, to understand more clearly who Jesus is, uh, how we should be like Him. And John there talks about how uh, the Holy Spirit teaches, reminds, guides the disciples concerning Jesus. And the same is true for us now. Uh, and then one of the biggest ones is that the Spirit will convict the world concerning sins. And He's going to show us what is true righteousness and warn us uh, against the coming judgment on the world. And so, that reminder, that conviction of sin is evidence that there's real change that's taking place in our life. Uh, All of these things uh, are needed. But then in the church, we see how the Spirit serves the church. It goes out. Uh, inspiring the the written word, inspiring um, just the transmission of the biblical truth. The the Spirit illuminates Scripture for us, in that when we we read it, it shows us. Uh, you know, uh, all along the way, as we've been reading, we've gotten these dots. You're know, like, okay, well, I see what that's talking about. I see what that's talking about. But it's like the Spirit comes in and shows us how all the dots are connected. It helps to. Just reveal the truth on a deeper level to us. So, so uh, I, I really, I talk about the, the spirit in the church and just how it's God at work in his people, shaping his people, making his people. Jesus has provided the means, but the spirit of God in, in the church just continues to unite us, continues to build us up as this, um, as this spiritual house for God. You can't deny the work that the Spirit did, and especially in the first century church, and just the dramatic changes that happened with church growth and the things that happen around the world still today. You just can't deny that the same Spirit of God that was doing amazing things in the Old Testament that was vital in Jesus' ministry is also now at work
0: in God's people. You know, I think there's a misconception as we think about the Trinity that you know, in the beginning there was God the Father— And the God the Father created, he spoke, he had a will, and he ruled from on high, revealed himself, called people to be prophets, set up kings and all these things. And then Jesus came on the scene, had his season of ministry, saving people. And then the Holy Spirit came on the scene, advancing the work that God started, Jesus continued, and now the Holy Spirit sustains for all eternity, but really, that's a misconception that I think people have. When really, the Trinity in full, in perfect community with one another, existed before Genesis one one, and the Trinity today exists in their full role and will for all eternity. As you think about each person of the Trinity and the work that they do from the beginning, God has spoken. God has revealed himself. In the beginning Jesus has created and saved and in the beginning the holy spirit has bound up and reminded and comforted and and sealed the things that God the Father wills to happen. And that's the work he's done throughout creation. And really now let's bring it personal isn't that the same role they have in salvation? So maybe speak to this idea to the individual now. As God has revealed himself and we're learning more about him conceptually, what does it mean to know him personally and how does God initiate that? and What's our response to be?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you bring up just the eternal nature of the Trinity and just the, you know, the fellowship that God had in perfect harmony with himself. We need these eternal truths. Um Recently, I listened to John Piper, and uh, he's talking about Romans uh, 8 and how we love the truths that we find in Romans 8, promises of what has been accomplished in Christ, and just the uh, eternal nature of of those things that just go on forever in perfect uh, harmony. But then we have Romans chapter 9, which talks about what God has essentially done in eternity past, and, you know, wanting us and working uh, for us and, and choosing us. And he said, he said, you know, if you're going to build something that is eternal, you need a foundation that is eternal as well. And so we need these uh, uh, eternal truths. We need them for the hope that we have for the future in relationship with God. We need to, to know just what he's been doing from the very beginning. And uh, we do see that this tension of progression throughout Scripture, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, we also see that God's been trying to accomplish the same thing from the very beginning. You know, He made uh, man and woman. He made man to be in relationship with Him, face to face. That's the reason. The first question that God asks after Adam and Eve sin is, "Is where are you?" you know, what, what's the implication between that question is that it, He knows where He is, but He wants to be with Him. And, and so much that, that comes out of that is just out of this regret that you know, this communion, this uh, relationship has been broken. And so, God is working all through Scripture for His glory to reestablish a relationship with His people. And He does that in in a variety of different ways that, to, to our mind, we might see like progression or change or different ways, but it's all working towards the, the same goal of bringing us back into relationship with Him so that we can look at Revelation 22.4 and and we can see the face of God again. We can stand before Him again. And I think it's just uh, it, it's, it's something that we're quite dismissive of, you know, that we don't think about past people who didn't have the words of Jesus. They didn't have God uh, speaking in this way, relating to people in this way. They didn't have the wrestling of the church on how to interact. How do we love people around us? How do we stand as Christian community? What does that look like? They didn't have all these examples, and we do. It's it's at our fingertips. We just are, in many ways, especially in the English-speaking world, the resources that we have, uh, we're just without excuse when it comes to knowing uh, about God. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, It's never meant to stop there it's not good enough just to know these things about God and know how he's worked and what he's like and to, you know, to learn fancy words like immutability and uh, omnipresence. I mean, those those things tell us just a little bit uh, about what God, I, I love in Job, where Job is contemplating God and uh, he's, he's contemplating the stars in the sky and, you know, all of this. And he said these are just the fringes. I mean, they're just the edges of God. And, and we have to, to take time. and God wants us, He wants us to take time to, to spend in contemplation of Him. He says that he's unsearchable, but that doesn't mean we don't keep searching for him. And he says that he's unknowable, but that doesn't mean that, that we don't seek to understand and, and know him because He's reached out to us and given us the opportunity to, to reach out to him. And through our time in the word, through our time in prayer, uh, through our time, you know just uh, counseling one another, you know letting the Spirit of God uh, speak to, to one another in Christian counsel, all of these things just help God be more real in our life, more in relationship. And uh, in the same way that so many things about Jesus were they were just a shadow of what was to come, the ways that we experience God in relationship now with one another and the, the spirit at work in the church, all of these things are still they're just a shadow of, of what's going to really happen uh, in the end until we all, uh, you know, you and me, Kevin, and everybody listening, and we get to be before God, we get to see his face. And the reality of those those words of him being unsearchable, unknowable, is that we're going to spend all of eternity being more and more amazed uh, at God and being more in awe of the ways that He's he works and and who he is because, uh, it's just, it's this bottomless well, we're never going to exhaust it and we're never going to find the bottom of it. And so that's, that's, I mean, that's exciting for me to. Uh, that's, it's why I go to my Bible because it's always teaching me something new. Uh, it's always revealing something, uh, more, uh, intimate uh,
0: about God. Amen to that one, brother. I'm in the same, I, you know, code of the word, no matter how many times in the same passage and, and you just see something new. And you know, the Holy Spirit's revealing more about who God is. And I'm reminded Proverbs 25, it says, the glory of God is to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search it out. And I think sometimes the Lord just sort of dispenses those things to us at his pace. And the more we seek out, the more God just reveals about himself. And if you think about it, as is we're with him for all eternity. It's not like we enter heaven, we know all, we know everything there is to know about God. God is still, he's still unsearchable. He, he's still beyond our our really full understanding, even with a glorified mind and body and walking around, you know, in full sight. And not only in full sight with him, but you said it earlier, we enter into full community with him. As God has had community with himself, perfect community among himself prior even to creation, part of the... The great news of salvation is we go from enemies of God to entering into the community he has within himself at perfect peace with him. What a joyful thing that will be for all eternity to enjoy the fellowship of the Trinity in fullness in where our faith has now become sight. Daniel, I appreciate you taking us through this idea of the the doctrine of God, bringing maybe a concept or a theology that in some ways seems really simple. And yet, the more people try to answer this question, who is God, the more we can sort of stumble around and not, not really understand what about God we should know. And so thanks for taking us through this. I really appreciate your ministry in Starkville and the way you mentor students and excited to see what the future holds there. Looking forward to talking again on another great topic and appreciate your study and the time you put into this. We've been on the phone with Daniel Bray, Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, Daniel serves as our campus director there. If you're interested more about Starkville, Mississippi and the work in Starkville, love for you to reach out to us. You can email us at info at We'd love to connect you to Daniel. And I know he would love to hear from you and tell you everything that's going on there. We hope this has been a blessing to you. Grateful. Appreciate you listening into the podcast. And we look forward to uh, the next time we're together. You've been listening to the Lightbears Institute podcast. A production of Light Bears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com.